Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Solomon Ashoms in Johannesburg, South Africa and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we talk about the video assistant referee technology as Morocco will become the first African country to use VAR in its league. We go to Morocco to find out how they'll manage to fund it. Morocco's federation will also get a financial support from the government and namely the Ministry of Youth and Sports. You know, Morocco wants to become a model in sports in Africa. Also, some top Europe-based Moroccan players are choosing to move to golf nations like Saudi Arabia and Qatar, including Captain Mehdi Benatia, who left Juventus and chose to move to Qatar instead of Manchester United. We find out why. Plus a look at the UEFA Champions League, and we have an interview with Italy-based Ivory Coast midfielder Jeremy Boga. Well, that's all coming up, but first, congratulations to Mali for winning the Under-20 Africa Cup of Nations, beating Senegal on penalties in the final after a 1-1 draw. Uh, Mali led early on, Senegal equalised with 15 minutes to go to take it to extra time, but Senegal have now lost three finals in a row. This is a first African Under-20 title for Mali, but they've been strong at Under-20 level for a long time. They finished third at the FIFA Under-20 World Cup in 1999 and and in 2015. While Mali and Senegal, along with losing semi-finalists South Africa and Nigeria, are now getting ready for the Under-20 FIFA World Cup in Poland in May. Now, over the past year or so, the video assistant referee technology has been one of the issues that we've talked about most here on the show, with the technology being used in more European leagues and at the World Cup in Russia last year, and in the UEFA Champions League as of last week. We've often asked if the technology will ever come to the leagues of Africa, and the answer is yes. Morocco will introduce the VAR for all of its top-flight league matches from the start of next season this August. Training sessions on the new technology will be organised for referees and club officials. Uh, So far on the continent, VAR has only been used in both legs of last year's Champions League final, while Egypt have also said they plan to use the system from next season. Well, I'm joined by Moroccan football journalist Jalal Bonoir in Casablanca in Morocco. Uh, so, Jalal, the VAR will be used in all of the top flight matches and you need TV cameras at games to make it possible to use the VAR. So are all of your top flight matches televised at the moment? Yes, all top flight matches are televised at the moment uh, since there is a state channel uh, focusing on Moroccan football and other sports. Even the schedule of the games uh, takes into consideration the programs of this TV channel and other state channels. So generally, Moroccan fans can watch all games thanks to the efforts made by the national state radio and television company. This company has highly developed technology and well-qualified staff who have already uh, broadcasted international tournaments such as the African Nations Championship. So now in Morocco, the debate is about the second division league and the possibility uh, for Moroccan fans to watch the games of this second league. 
Well, so you have all top flight games televised, so that means that use of the VAR is possible. And now talking of televising second tier games there in Morocco. Uh, certainly makes me very envious because here in Zimbabwe, uh, maybe one game a week is televised, if that. Uh, Bachelal, the VAR is hugely expensive, so how will the league cover the cost there? Yes, it's uh, quite expensive. Uh, but uh, Fozi Lekja, the president of Morocco's Football Federation, uh, has said that uh, the federation will be in charge of the financial needs to use this technology. It will work with its uh, sponsors and partners to finance all phases of the implementation of this big project. It will start with covering the financial needs uh, of training, including the cost of accommodation, transport and the practical training. But the second phase is related to financing the technical part of the project and the human resources needed for implementing this technology. Morocco's federation will also get a financial support from the government, and namely the Ministry of Youth and Sports. You know, Morocco wants to become a model in sports in Africa. So uh, to be a model, uh, there are so many things to be done. And one of them recently this week, for the first time in Africa, a referee from Senegal has arbitrated a match in Morocco's top league. So the government is ready to help in the implementation of this uh, big project. Well, so big government support there. Uh, well, stay with us, Jalal. But uh, Solomon, this is a big move for Morocco and it might happen in Egypt too. Uh, good for African football, but uh, do you see any sub-Saharan African countries taking on the technology anytime soon? Looking at countries like Nigeria or Ghana or Kenya, Cameroon, a lot is needed to be able to, to, you know, to implement the video assistant referee technology. Finances are required. You know, you need to have a very capable football administration to be for you to be able to have that vision and to follow through and 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 uh, implement it. Which I feel, you know, a lot of sub-Saharan African clubs are are, are not there yet. Uh, you know, so it's it's really going to be a challenge. South Africa may just be the first sub-Saharan African country to do that, but. But then thing is going to take quite a couple of years, you know, if we want to see a few sub-Saharan African countries, maybe maybe in the next five years we're going to see a few, but, but not immediate after Egypt nor Morocco. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be beyond uh, most countries in Africa, at least for now. Um, so do you feel that most of Africa is getting left behind when it comes to this technology in football? I think this technology, you know, very good for football, but a lot of African countries are left behind because getting the technology, a lot of finances is needed. The football in itself, the league that we have in different countries don't have enough investment, financial investment. The VAR is good, would be good for African football, especially where sometimes you get an outright questionable referee in, in games. Uh, but at the same time, you have to be able to make sure that you get the right technology, the right people, the right skill, the right training uh, to be able to do that. And the infrastructures is not there enough. Uh, the, the finances to be able to implement this, you know, except there is some sort of funding from CAF or FIFA. We are definitely behind, Steve, and uh, we're going to be behind in this technology also, in rolling out this technology. 
Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks, Solomon. Good news then for Morocco. As for us here in Zimbabwe and for the most of the rest of Africa, we'll continue to dream of the VAR and other technology coming to our country sometime. Let's go back to Jalal Bonoir in Morocco, away from the VAR, Jalal. Uh, last month, Morocco captain Mehdi Benatia left Juventus and chose to move to Qatar instead of Manchester United and other clubs who'd shown a big interest in him. Of late, quite a few Morocco national team players have moved from Europe to play in Gulf countries, chiefly Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Uh, by the Gulf, by the way, I mean the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Oman, Kuwait and Qatar. Qatar, of course, hosting the 2022 FIFA World Cup. Uh, so, Jalal, why are these top Moroccan players making these moves? Uh, in fact, after the World Cup and the great performance of Morocco, in addition to securing the qualification for the next African Cup of Nations, so many clubs in Saudi Arabia and Qatar have shown their interest to sign Moroccan players. Recently, Mehdi Benatea has joined a Duhail club in Qatar, coming from Juventus. Also, Nordin Amrabat joined a Nasser in Saudi Arabia, coming from Watford. The same with Mbarak Boussoufa, who is playing now for a Shabab, Karim Al Ahmadi, who was last season the captain of Feyenoord. He has joined Al Ittihad in Saudi Arabia, in addition to Manuel Da Costa and other players. So majority of these players are now more than 30 years old. But in the past, these clubs, I mean uh, teams from uh, Saudi Arabia and Qatar, used to sign players from Morocco's top league. But now we can see for the first time that they are interested in Moroccan players who practice in Europe. Very interesting. So are they moving there for the money? For sure, they are looking for improving their financial situations before retirement. Benatia, for example, has been given a tempting offer that includes about 10 million euros in addition to so many facilities for him and his family. Uh, also, 31-year-old midfielder Nouradine Amrabat has left uh, Watford for a Nasser in a 9 million euro move. So for them, it's a golden opportunity to play in Gulf countries for money, but also for other reasons, including uh, the weather, the language, the culture and uh, the religion, as Mehdi Banateya said in the press conference following his move to the Qatari club of Duhail. And uh, I understand that Morocco coach Hervé Renard has always been against players moving to Gulf countries as he believes the level of play is not that high. He had said he won't call up players who play in these countries, uh, but I guess he will have to change that stance now. That's true, yes. Hervé Renard uh, has already announced that he will not be interested in players who play in different uh, Gulf leagues. It was in a press conference before the previous African Cup of Nations. He said that these leagues are not competitive. So it has always been his philosophy from the beginning. Therefore, he has never called up a player uh, from Saudi Arabia, Qatar or Emirates, like, for example, Ben Sharkey uh, when he was in Saudi Arabia or Batna or Hamdallah or Youssef El Arabi, uh, the top scorer uh, in Qatar. They have never been called up, so they were always uh, uh, excluded. 
However, when Busofa moved to Emirates, he called him. So which means that Hervé Renard will keep his list of players who played in Russia till the end of the next African Cup of Nations. But to Hervé Renard, the coach of Morocco, certainly has his reservations about the standard of play in those countries. Thanks very much to Jalal Bonoir in Morocco. And we're asking for your thoughts on this on social media this week. Are the Gulf countries good destinations for African players? We heard about the top Moroccan players moving from Europe to nations like Saudi Arabia and Qatar. Many other Africans have joined clubs in Gulf countries where the money can be good. But is it a good destination? for African players. You can give us your thoughts on our Facebook page, Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. What do you think? Are the Gulf countries good destinations for African players? Well, next we turn to social media and on last week's show we talked about the issue of teams being affected by players with big egos. Players who have huge contracts and can become big-headed. Countries like Nigeria have struggled with this especially. So we asked, how do you think that coaches and the leaders of the country's football federations can best deal with this problem? On WhatsApp, Mohamed Krubali in the Gambia says, I think coaches should treat the big names differently because they are big name players. Uh, James, also in the Gambia, agrees, saying, yes, I think they should treat the big names differently, uh, but they should build a sense of national pride in them, says James. Gemo is a Cameroonian living in the United States. I agree that coaches should build a sense of pride in the team by managing the team, says Gemo. Football is a collective sport and the coach needs to understand every player's personality, strengths and weaknesses to make the team work as one, even if it means dropping players with toxic attitudes. Keeping in mind that coaches nowadays are also the managers of the team with plenty of authority, says Gemo. Mohamed Ayakinte in the Gambia says, Hello, Planet Sport Football Africa and its wonderful listeners. Uh, well, thanks to you for your uh, kind comments and greeting there, Mohamed. And Mohamed continues, uh, Well, in regard to big-headed players, I think it's up to the coach to treat them respectfully. The moment they have your respect as a coach, they will behave well. They shouldn't be treated differently from other players, in my view, says Mohamed. Musa Gibber is a football coach in the Gambia. He speaks from personal experience. In my opinion, I think big-headed players should be dropped because you can't select a player who thinks that he knows more than the coach or just because he's played at a higher level than the coach. For me, in football, I always believe that every player is under a coach. It's been happening especially here in our local clubs, or the Nawetan, as we call it here. I'm the coach of our town team, and we were knocked out of the tournament because there were some players who thought that they knew football more than I do, and because they were also older than me, says Musa. Very interesting. Uh, Lee Sise got in touch from Turkey. I don't think that dropping such players will be a good choice, says Lee. Instead, both the federations and the coaches should always try to diversify and be pragmatic to integrate such big-headed players into their teams. Belong Baji believes big-headed players should be more humble. Under no circumstances should a coach condone players who belittle others, says Belong. They should make such players understand that there's no room for this in the beautiful game. Dropping such players can have an impact on their career and can guide them to stop being so full of themselves and instead to focus on being part of the team. 
And finally, Samba Kande in The Gambia thinks there are circumstances for special treatment, but he says that's only if players are such phenomenons, uh, such as the likes of Lionel Messi. Well, thanks very much for all of those comments. Always great to hear from you here on the show. Uh, next here on Planet Sport Football Africa to our interview with Ivory Coast midfielder Jeremy Boga. Boga is 22 years old and has one cap for the Elephants, having played for France at under-18 and under-19 level. Boga was a Chelsea player from 2015 to 2018, but only made one appearance for the Blues, being loaned out to Rennes in France, Granada in Spain and to Birmingham City in the English Championship. At the start of this season, he moved permanently to Italian Serie A side Sassuolo. Planet Sport Football Africa's Liam Flint spoke to Boga and first asked about the move to Sassuolo. It's true that for me it's been a big change coming from Chelsea to Sassuolo. But I was ready for it, I was ready for the challenge and I'm very happy because the, the team welcomed me very well. All the stuff made me feel like I'm at home, so for me the liking Chela is going well. And when you're at such a, a big club like Chelsea, how do you work out when is the time to move on and get regular football? Because it must be really hard when you're at a great club, great facilities, great players. How did you know when the time was right? Uh, for me, it wasn't such a hard choice because it's true that I was at a very big club, but I was not getting uh, first-team experience. So for me, the goal was to to get first-team experience and to show my talent somewhere, somewhere else. So when the chance came for me to, to get transferred to Sassuolo, it was the, the perfect timing. And you, I think you said just before you left Chelsea in an interview that you said, for the talent I've got as a player, I don't think I've done enough. I don't think I've done what I could have done. Do you think that was down to you? Or do you think there's just too many young players like you trying to all squeeze in at Chelsea? I think uh, it's down to me. I would say 60% down to me and also 40% the club because I think in Chelsea there's a lot of amazing talents uh, for the youth but not a lot of them are getting the opportunity to, to prove this, themselves at the club so for me it's also the the club but also me because I had the chance to go on loan but I don't think when I was on loan I showed the, the real talent I have to come back and, and get my chances at Chelsea so I would say it's a, it's a bit of both. There's been a lot of great players I've played with like uh, Hazard Six Fabregas, William uh, had the chance to train with Jobba and Ed also. All of the, all of them are great players, great characters. I think the the most uh, I've learned from was probably uh, Fabregas from the the way he sees the play, the way he's so quick on his thinking, and it makes you learn and want to learn from him. Also, the speed of dribbling of Hazard and William is very very good and. You can, you can enjoy watching them every day in training. So, Jeremy, let's look forward. Start of 2019, what are you most looking forward to in this next season, but also this next year for you? Uh, what I'm most excited about is really get playing playing a lot of games because uh, the end of 2018 hasn't been the best for me because I had an operation and uh, I've been out for three, three and a half months. So for me now is just to get back to playing and uh, enjoying my football and help the team get as far up in the table as possible and score goals and uh, reach my goals. And you've made it quite clear that you really want to press on now and get more caps for the Ivory Coast. 
Are you looking to things like AFCON in June now that's going to be in Egypt? Is that a goal for you? Or do you think that's a bit too soon for you to force your way in? No, I don't think it's too soon. I think it's, for me it's a goal, even though I didn't have the chance to, to go through the qualifications also with my injury and things like this. I didn't have the chance to make a lot of gaps. But for me, it's still possible. I have uh, four or five months to to do the best with my club and to show the the manager of the of the of every post that I can I'm good enough to make the squad and to to play the African Cup in Egypt. So Jeremy, tell us about that that first cap that you got for the national team. How special was that for you and for the family? Yeah, very special moment. So that I will never forget. The best part of it was to see the smile on my parents' face after the game. So for them, it was really like a, a big moment for me also because it's my country. Even though I was born in France, it's also my country where I'm from. So for me, it was a, a big day. So Jeremy, where would you say your talent comes from? Uh, my talent, I think, uh, from God because uh, everybody has their talent from God. But uh, where I learned to play football the most was in, when I was young in Marseille. In my neighborhood, is always like this. We, in France or everywhere else, you always learn in the streets, play with your friends, play at school. So for me, it was just from young, playing everywhere. Everywhere I was, I was always playing football with my friends or with my brother, my older brother also. He used to play football, so it's a bit of a mix out, out of the family and in the family also. So I was always around the football. So clearly it sounds like your faith plays an important role in your football and your life. What difference does your faith in Jesus make to your life and your football? I think for, for me personally, the big difference was uh, serenity, uh, being more calm. Also because Jesus in your life, when you have faith, you become more humble, more, more calm in bad situations because you know that. Well, whatever you're going through, Jesus will help you come out of it. So for me, it's always staying calm, always be happy, even in bad situations of not playing or being injured, always showing your happiness. Not only for me, but also to others, you see that even though I'm in a bad situation, I keep smiling, I keep being happy. You will also give uh, others courage to see that, uh, why is he happy in this situation? And then they can come closer to God also for me or for other people doing these this things. So having a faith in a sport like football, when you've got the popularity, the money, everyone wants a piece of you, so much media coverage on you, how difficult is it for you, Jeremy, to just stay on a straight path and not get in any trouble or compromise your belief in Jesus? Every day is not, is not easy, of course, because... Uh, being a footballer or even being someone like a little bit known is difficult because you have easy access to to things and also you have a lot of temptation but for for me personally is the having an older brother is really into faith and my parents also really into faith has helped me a lot because we seen every day so every time you see you feel bad but if you have Jesus in your life you know that he forgive you for your sins and also if you have family into God also, he helps to, to strengthen when you pray together and when you do when you read the word together. And just to finish, Jeremy, what would you say your your big career goal is? What's one thing that you would love to do or win a trophy in your career? 
for me, my biggest dream, I think, is probably to win collective trophies like Champions League and World Cup, and also to to reach my maximum potential because I don't think I've reached it yet to go as far as I can and to help my family keep making my family proud. Well, he's only 22 years old. That's Ivory Coast midfielder Jeremy Boga, who moved to Italian Serie A side Sassuolo at the start of this season. Speaking there to Planet Sport Football Africa's Liam Flint. Right, let's catch up with the UEFA Champions League now. We had a four more round of 16 first leg games this week. And in the standout fixture, Liverpool were held at home to a nil-nil draw by Bayern Munich. Stuart Weir joins us from the UK. Uh, now, Stuart, can Liverpool still make it through? I think it's going to be very difficult for Liverpool, Steve, because their away form in the Champions League this year has been poor. In the group stage, they lost all three games. That was 2-1 away to PSG, 1-0 at Napoli, and even in Croatia against uh, Zinska, they lost 2-0. And technically, this week, I thought Bayern Munich just seemed to get it right. Liverpool just couldn't break them down. Manchester City beat Schalke in an exciting game, 3-2. City took an early lead, and then Schalke, who are fifth from the bottom of the German league at the moment, were awarded two penalties in seven minutes, both scored by their Algerian, Nabil Bentaleb. Now, Bentaleb, incidentally, was one of four Africans in the Schalke team. There was Hamza Mendel and Armin Harit of Morocco, the Senegalese Salib Sani as well. In the second half, Manchester City had Otamendi sent off with over 20 minutes to go. But amazingly, City's 10 men scored two goals to take control of the tie. One disappointment was, uh, as has been the case in several of the big games this season, is Manchester City's Algerian star, Riyad Mahrez, was not in the starting eleven, and in fact was an unused substitute for the game in Germany. Atletico Madrid scored two late goals to beat Juventus. Remember that I tipped UV as possible winners. That doesn't look very good now. And it could actually have been a lot worse because Atletico Madrid won 2-0, but they were denied a penalty and a goal awarded by the referee, but overruled by VAR. In the fourth game, Barcelona drew 0-0 at Lyon, so Barcelona would look favourites there. The second legs are spread over two weeks, starting on the 5th of March. Going back to the Manchester City game, Steve, the first Schalke penalty was for handball by Otamendi when the ball clearly struck him on the arm. The referee awarded the penalty and two minutes, 45 seconds later, VAR confirmed the penalty decision. Incidentally, the TV channel I was watching had an ex-referee who said correct decision and three ex-players who said accidental handball. Just shows how difficult it is. Last weekend, it was the fifth round of the FA Cup and all eight ties followed the form book with the team in the higher league position winning each game. And that leaves us with quarterfinals, Swansea against Manchester City, Watford at home to Crystal Palace, Wolves at home to Manchester United and Millwall at home to Brighton. Now, as you know, home advantage is decided just by the luck of the draw. But incredibly, Millwall, who are at home to Brighton in the quarterfinals, have been drawn at home 21 of the last 25 times. 
The tie of the round saw Manchester United come to London and beat Chelsea. And this was significant for both teams because, of course, it was another win for Ole Gunnar Sundsvall. But Chelsea lost another game without scoring. And by the end of the game, the Chelsea fans were chanting at manager Maurizio Sarri, you don't know what you're doing. This weekend, we had the League Cup final with Chelsea playing Manchester City. And remember, City beat them 6-0 not long ago, while Manchester United entertained Liverpool in a really intriguing top-of-the-table game. Just um, picking up one incident from the Manchester United-Chelsea Cup tie, Chris Smalling pulled David Luiz's shirt so hard that he actually ripped a big hole in it. But incredibly, neither the referee nor the VAR saw the incident and no penalty was awarded. Finally, Steve, a couple of pieces of trivia for you. As you know, our Prime Minister is called May and she lives in Downing Street. Well, Crystal Palace had a very politically correct win in the FA Cup. They beat a Doncaster Rovers team, which included May, Blair and Downing. In a championship game last week, West Brom were losing 2-1 to Nottingham Forest with a minute to go, and West Brom's Jay Rodriguez was awarded a penalty. It was scored, and West Brom were able to draw. But after the game, Rodriguez was found guilty of diving and banned for two games. But the goal and the result stand. Somehow that just doesn't seem right. Yeah, sure. Doesn't make sense, but uh, that's the rules, I guess. Thanks, Stuart. So some great games on this weekend. Well, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Harare, from Solomon Ashams in South Africa, and Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production. <laughs>